Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 is where we're going to be at today. Open up your Bibles or open up your app, whatever you use, and keep there because I really do want you. I'm going to take you through these verses and tell you what they mean. And then the Holy Spirit is going to apply them to your heart and you're going to be blessed, I hope. But Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, this is what we read. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you will not grow weary and faint-hearted. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever studied the book of Hebrews. It's got to be one of the most incredible books in our New Testament, especially when it comes to showing who Christ is and glorifying him. But this book, it, you could know this for sure, it was written in such a different time than we live. They date the book around 70 to 95 AD, and so you could just think the times are different. What they didn't have back then, what we have today. And yet, here's what's amazing is that this book is no less relevant for us today than it was when it was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And it's relevant because it exhorts you and I to do one thing. This is what I want you to take away with you this morning. This is what I want you to think about this week. It exhorts you and I to keep your eyes on Jesus. Is that relevant? Amen. Now listen, you could interact with me today just as long as you don't hurl insults or ask me to answer questions. But it's relevant, right? Amen. It is a relevant book. You know, we live in stressful, uncertain times, don't we? Again, that's a no-brainer. There is division in our country, for us at least, like we have never known. I'm not sure there hasn't been this type of division before, but we are, in, we are a divided country. And we need to keep our eyes and our mind on the right thing. And that is crucial. And let me say it again. It is crucial that our eyes are on Jesus and they are on the kingdom of God and the things of the kingdom of God. Amen? Paul warned us, you know this passage in 2 Timothy 3.1, that in these last days, there, he said there will be difficult times. And boy, that is aptly, isn't it? We are living in difficult times. The NIV says terrible times. The New King James says perilous times. The NAT says dangerous and fierce times. And man, doesn't it feel that way at times? And if there was ever a time to remind ourselves how to walk, it is today. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to remind your hearts and your minds that we are to walk with our eyes focused on Jesus. Whoever the author is, he gives us this great picture here of a runner and a race, if you will. And we are to run for Christ. Look again at verse 1. Don't take your eyes, keep your scriptures open. I'm going to take you right through them. In verse 1, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you don't have those words marked in your Bible, mark race and mark run. Because that is what we are in. You know, when I was a kid in high school, I was on the track team. And you say, why? And I agree with you, why? Because 
I had two brothers that were jocks. I had a brother that was an incredible shot putter, but they convinced me to, well, you're big and bulky, throw the shot, right? And someone got the idea in these track meets that at some point in the track meets, we will have, however many schools were there, we will have the shot putters run a relay race. I just tell you that's a bad idea. I don't look a lot different today than I did back then, okay? This is not running material here. Okay, so, but anyway, that's the analogy that Paul, or not Paul, whoever the author is, gives us that we are in this race. And I want to show you three things as we take, go through this passage. I want to show you that we want to start well in this race. We want to consider the saints. That's the first verse. We want to run well, consider things that we're to get rid of, again in verse 1. And then as we go to verse 2 and 3, we're gonna, we want to end well as we consider the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing is we want to start well as we consider the saints. Look at your scriptures there. You notice the first word of verse 1? It says, therefore, and most of you understand this, but if you don't, that's okay. Hopefully you're here to learn about the Bible, learn about the Lord. Therefore is pointing back to chapter 11. You should write maybe right there, connector, because that's what it is. That word is a connector for you and I to connect us with chapter 11 and connect chapter 12 together. And chapter 11, if you don't know, we refer to it as the hall of faith. Just like in sports, there's halls of fame for incredible sports people, baseball players, football players. This, this is a hall of fame, if you will, of men and women in God. You could look at chapter 11, go ahead and look at it and just scan down it. In my Bible, I mark them. You see Abraham is mentioned, a man of faith, Isaac, Jacob. There's Noah, oh man, what faith he had. There's Moses, talk about a man of faith. Or how about Joseph? Joseph's one of my heroes. There's Rahab, this lady that went against everything and risked her life for Israel. There's Gideon and Samson and David and Samuel. You go to the end of the chapter and it lists all types of those. It doesn't necessarily give us the names, but it tells us what they went through. And look at verse 33. It says, who through faith conquered and then again, what's it say? We're made strong out of weakness. How? Because their eyes were on the Lord. They had faith. Verse 39, they're all commended because of their faith. The words by faith, depending on your translation, are going to be there some 15 times. The word faith alone is going to be in that chapter some 26 times. That chapter is a chapter about faith. The writer of Hebrews <clears throat> is looking back. He says, look back, recall, remember to whoever he was writing to. Remember this great cloud of witnesses that gone before us and help you run then successfully. And again, don't put it back then, put it today. You and I are to look at that chapter 11. We're to look at what we're seeing today and it is meant to help us today. It has helped us to the rest of the day, this coming week. And let me show you some things that you want to note. First of all, it says there's this great cloud of witnesses. And we get the idea that they might be looking down on us. That's probably not the idea here. It doesn't mean they're watching us like we watch a TV show, right? I think if you watch my life, you'd get bored with it pretty fast. You'd kind of say, turn the channel, you know. But it doesn't mean that. It means we are to consider, look at, and think about their lives, how they lived, how they persevered with faith, remembering them, being encouraged by them, find motivation from their lives. This is what John MacArthur says. He says, it isn't that we should be faithful 
so they would be so they won't be disappointed or impressed they are examples not onlookers they are not looking at us we are to look at them seeing how god was with them encourages us to trust that he will also be with us and so we look back at that chapter and those people and we say to ourselves if they did it i can do it right the word witness there is the word martis. It's where we get our word martyr. And that's what it means. A martyr is a person who has been deprived of life, bearing witness to their beliefs. In other words, they have lost their lives because of their faith in God. And that's what these witnesses are that are mentioned there. And so we look back and we note how they lived. They gave it all. They gave their all. And what a great source of encouragement these witnesses are to be to you and us. The second thing is we want to run well. And that comes out here in verse 1 as well. Look at verse 1, about the middle of the verse there, right after the word witnesses. It says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In the kingdom race, you and I have got to be personally prepared. We have got to examine our lives. We want to make sure that we're walking the way we're supposed to be walking. And so there's that preparation that needs to take place. And what does it say here? That part of that preparation is laying aside every weight, laying aside any sin that would impede our walk and our race. And so as then and now, when runners would run, the runners run with next to nothing on. And so they just, there's no socks it used to be gym shorts and a tank top, and now they wear body suits, don't they? Because the aerodynamic thing. But in other words, they don't want anything as far as weight in their, in their uh, clothes to slow them down when they run. And that's the idea, too, that we as believers are to make sure there's nothing in our life that is impeding us in this race that we have been called to. Um, we are to get rid of anything that can hinder us. Let me show you what three different pastors say this means here. Pastor Kent Hughes says, a hindrance is something otherwise good, so it doesn't mean it's bad, that weighs you down spiritually. It could be friendship, association, an event, a place, a habit, a pleasure, entertainment, an honor. And again, what I'd ask you to do this morning is for you to think yourself. Let the Spirit speak to your heart and show you if there's any hindrance in your life. Chuck Sunzall says it's habits, attitudes, impatience, false beliefs, argumentative spirit. Nobody has an argumentative spirit today, do they? Uh, anything that slows you down. And Alistair Bake says it could be family. It could be diligence in business. That could go too far. It could even be theology or politics that impede your walk. And it might not necessarily be bad. That's what it means here. But it can affect your race in the Lord. Another way of looking at it is it's not it's not the weight, but it's what the weight does, see? And so again, it might not be a bad thing, but it might not be the best thing, and you and I are exhorted to get rid of that. Um, and so we're to get rid of that. Next, we're to get rid of the sin which clings so closely, verse 1. And this could be a specific sin that maybe has haunted you for years. And you keep falling for it. But it also could be sins that more than one. But again, the Lord will speak to you about that. It could be sexual in nature. 
It could be jealousy, unforgiveness, dishonesty, or pride. Uh, it could be coveting something, or criticism, or laziness, or anger. It could be hatred. It could be a lack of thanksgiving. So chapter 12 looks back to chapter 11, and the writer might also be thinking it could be unbelief. It could be this doubting God, this lack of faith that he is exhorting them to. John MacArthur again says, ours is not a race of works, but a race of faith. See? And so whatever it might be, we are to get rid of that as well and get done with it. And note also, it says, the sin that clings so closely or entangles, easily entangles us. And isn't that the truth? Isn't it amazing how fast we can fall into sin? I include myself with that. None of us consider and say, well, I don't have that problem. Really? I'd like to talk to you later. I'll convince you that you have that problem. Okay? <laughs> but you understand that, don't you? I understand that. And we want to shake those things off. You know, um, out at uh, Phelps Field, uh, missionary, uh, uh, Moody Missionary Aviation has uh, planes out there. And if you've never been there, maybe someday you can get a tour of it. It's really great. I've got a friend that is part of that ministry, and he took me through, gave me a very intimate tour. But one thing you'll notice about missionary planes, and there they're training um, the, the staff how to f repair those airplanes on the field. But in a missionary plane, you know what they do? They strip them down. They want those things. They don't want anything on that plane that doesn't need to be on that plane. So they can fly however many people they need to, depending on the situation, how many supplies they need to, but they strip everything down. And that's the picture that we have here. I, I, I came across this story that's really fascinating. You could check me on it, and you'll find it true if you go to YouTube video, that they say that eagles, and eagles are like a lot of those seabirds type thing, that, um, and National Geographic actually caught this footage of this bald eagle that was just circling around. And all of a sudden, it tucked its wings and just took off towards the water, dive bombing, and it got this fish. But in this case, the fish was so big, um, the eagle couldn't get out of the water, and the eagle ended up drowning. That doesn't happen very often. I, I saw a lot of footage where they, they do that to a fish, and they say that they can't let go. I don't understand that. Um, I'm not a whatever a person who studies birds is, okay? <laughs> but... I saw a footage where they'll catch that bird and it'll be so big and like a breaststroke, they take their wings and they start swimming to the shore and then once they get to the shore, they can drag it up and they let go of it. But the point being is this, you guys. We don't want to be like the eagle that won't let go of its fish. Fish being, if you will, a picture of sin and those things in our life that the Lord is saying, listen, that's impeding you and you need to let go of that and trust him for that. I want you to know that I never preach a message that I don't let it first speak to me. One time, an older gentleman, the church I pastored over on the other side, came to me and says, how do you always come up with application in the scripture? I said, it's simple. When I read the scripture, I first apply it to myself. And I want you to know that this week, as I was preparing for this message, the Lord spoke to me about something in my life. And he says, you need to let go of that. You keep hanging on to that. Let go of that. And I'll tell you, in faith, I'm moving ahead. And I want to let go of that. And I ask you, would you do that this morning? Is there something that now, and this is a beauty of gathering like this. Nobody knows what we're talk, thinking about, do they? So you could think about that thing. And you could say, Lord, 
I want to start the process right now. I want to let go of that sin, that weight, Lord, that might be impeding me. We have to be willing to give it up. We have to be willing to let go so that we could run this kingdom race that we are called to run and deal with that that slows us down. And don't miss, look at the verse again, you guys. Here's another word for you to underline. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You should mark that word. That is a great word. That's a word that when you came in today, you probably weren't even thinking about that. And I hope now you're going to realize that you've been called to run a race and you have to run it with endurance. It means to persevere. It literally is the idea of remain under, or we would say remain in. Don't take yourself out from that place where you have to endure. Strong's Dictionary tells us in the New Testament the characteristic of a man who doesn't deviate from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith by even the greatest trials and sufferings. That's what it means. You and I are to be people who endure. You know, I could hear the preachers of old saying something like this, brothers and sisters, we must keep on keeping on. Come on, say it. Amen. Amen. Come on. Come on. (laughs) Eugene Peterson had it right in a book that he titled Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That is a great description of perseverance and endurance. It's a long obedience in the same direction. You know, how many of us, when we come to the Lord, we just think it's going to be a rose garden. And pretty soon the pebbles fall off the roses. And the weeds grow up amongst the roses and the thorns prick us and everything else, right? It's an endurance. It's a race. Sadly, many stop running the race in their Christian walk. You know them. I know them. People who have walked with the Lord and they wouldn't let go of the thing that easily entangles them or the weight that they needed to set aside and it takes them down. Can I say this to any of you this morning that are in that place where you are right in that place where you are thinking about calling it quits with Christianity. God is showing you this morning the reason you might be there is because you don't understand it requires an endurance and he'll help you to endure. And I think many of us just need this reminder this morning that we are to endure. Notice it says, the word verse 1, the race that is set before us. That's another great verse. This passage is loaded. You know what that means? That God has set a course for you. That should encourage you. Some of you are in here today and you don't even think God knows who you are. (laughs) You don't even think you're on his radar. Oh, you're on his radar. And not in the sense that he's waiting for you to step out of line and nail you. You are on his radar because he died for you and he loves you so much. And God has a course for you. We are to run our race. You are to run your race. I run my race, not somebody else's. We don't run our parents' race. We don't run our siblings' race. We don't run our spouse's race or our husband's race. We don't run a certain pastor's race. God has set before us our race. That's exciting, isn't it? You know, I've been at the race since 1972. 9-11-72 is when I gave my life to Jesus. So I've been running this race now. You do the math, okay? And you know what? I'm still wondering what else he's got left. I ain't thinking it's over. (laughs) I know this body is wearing down. It doesn't have the energy it used to have. But I'm not 
thinking it's over at all. And I'm kind of excited, like, I can see the past course, but I can't see the course ahead. And why don't you do the same? You could see your past course. Listen, the bad parts of the past walk, don't dwell on them. Don't dwell on them. God understands how weak we are. God understands the mistakes we make. But think about that, that he wants you to run this race that he has set before you. He has a specific course mapped out for you. When you think of track and field, again, racing, right? And sports today, let me ask you a question. Shout this out, the answer. What race do you have to have endurance and perseverance in to run? A marathon, absolutely. You know, I can honestly tell you, I've never ran one. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> but you have to have perseverance. You have to have endurance. In the 100, 200, and 400 meter, they say those are sprinting type races. The runners get into their blocks, the gun sounds, and they just take off full blast. Then you move into the 800, 1500 meter, a mile, and it's, it's a middle distance race, they call them. And it does require a bit of endurance. But it's when you move into the 3,000 meter, the 5,000 meter, the 10,000 meter, the marathon, that pacing and endurance are absolutely necessary. You take off at the beginning of one of those races, full blast, and you will not finish. You guys, we are in a marathon. It doesn't surprise God. It surprises us that we wake up one day and realize that. But we have to pace ourselves. We have to persevere. We have to endure. And it's how we to run in these last days with endurance. I want to tell a story. And sometimes when I tell these stories that are old, I kind of go, ah, God, Scott, you're telling an illustration from 1981? But it's so good. So I'm going to tell you an illustration from 1981, okay? It's a guy named Bill Broadhurst. And he entered what was called the Pepsi 10,000 meter race. That's just a little over six miles, which took place in Omaha, Nebraska. Different, the difference with this Bill Broadhurst was 10 years earlier, he had surgery on his brain for a brain aneurysm and it left his left side completely paralyzed. So the gun went off in this race. Over 1,200 runners took off running and so did Bill. Bill took off, not really running, but doing it at his own pace. He threw, it says the crowd went off and surged forward. He threw his stiff left foot forward, pivoting on it as he hit the ground, repeating this motion the entire race. You can imagine that. It wasn't long before he was all alone. The runners were gone, out of sight. He kept at it. Sweat was rolling down his face. Pain was just penetrating his body and his ankle from the way he had to run. Some of the runners finished in 30 minutes. Bill finished in two hours and 20 minutes. By the time he got to the finish line, there were only really a few bystanders. One of them was another man named Bill. True story, Bill Rogers came over to Bill Broadhurst and Bill recognized him from the newspaper and he knew that he was a famous marathon runner. Having won the race, he came over to Bill. He put that medal that he had just won that day around his neck for he was the real winner. And here's the point. Bill Broadhurst finished just as glorious as the world's greatest runner that day, even though he finished last. Why? Because he ran with endurance, with perseverance until he finished the race. See, guys, we can do it. 
We don't run somebody else's race. We run our race. But that's what it means for you and I to run with endurance. And then the third thing this morning, as we move into verse 2 and 3, is we want to end well. And it has to do with that. You look back at the great cloud of witnesses. That helps you start. And then you get rid of things along the way that you need to get rid of. But then you want to end well. And as we consider the Savior, that happens. Look at verse 2. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Favorite translations for me are those that say, fix your eyes on Jesus. That just conjures up an image in my mind and my heart that that's what I want. I want to fix. The idea is focused on Jesus. It isn't limited to an image that we might have of him. That's not what it means at all. It means fix your eyes on his life, on how he lived, how he ran the race. Fix your eyes on his sacrifice, how he did not give up, and what he ultimately accomplished. That's what we're to fix our eyes on. The Greek here for fix is it's fix your attention on, learn from. Behold in the mind, fix the mind upon, to look away from everything else, look steadfastly intently towards a distant object, and in this case, the object is Jesus Christ. Mark says it well, a passage you know, it's throughout the scriptures, Mark 12, 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Translation, our whole being. Everything we are, our strength, our mind, everything. And I love that idea because it's the idea is the mind. See, isn't that where the battle starts? Isn't this where thoughts come to give up, to quit running the race, to indulge in this? And then it starts affecting everything else. That isn't amazing. I took, it was years before I realized that verse said that as well. I understand with my soul, my strength, all that stuff. And then it said my mind. And how you and I need to give these minds and to love the Lord with them. You know, the other day I was going through something. And I came home and I wasn't a happy camper. I was just, you know, it was my day off and I was kind of down and depressed. Anybody down and depressed in the last week or two? Raise your hand, please. Okay, now the rest of you that are lying, raise your hand. But I came in and my wife was in the kitchen and she was in the island and she was playing uh, a Spotify playlist of praise music. And I sat down and I was working on something. And it didn't dawn on me. I had to leave and do something. I came back and, it, and I said, what playlist is that? And she told me. And so I got it on my phone. So when I got on my truck, I put it in the truck and everything else. And I realized later, I said, oh my goodness, Lord, look what you just did. This is where my mind was at. And as all of a sudden my focus got on you, on your word and your songs, Lord, and praising you, my countenance totally changed. Because why? My mind was put on him. And then my heart followed. And then she'll tell you. He only knows one way to play his music. Loud. <laughs> I always laugh when I remember when my son was in high school. And I think I have the only son that told his dad, Dad, can you turn it down? You know. <laughs> and you come on over to the house someday, man. You should see the set of Polk speakers and the JBLs I've got in the garage. Oh, man, I got a great system. And yes, I do listen to it loud. But anyway, that's not the point of today. You know, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus. 
Today we might say, lock on him. Lock on him. You know, when my son was a kid, um, he used to do this thing with Wink, my wife. And when he felt she wasn't paying attention, <laughs> I could see it. He'd go up to her, he'd grab her cheeks and just turn her head. <laughs> And he did it like that. And we used to laugh because he did it so often when, she, when he felt she wasn't paying attention. And he would say, Mom, fix your eyes on me. You know, years ago, one of the first, the first church I did pastor was in the Dalles, Oregon. That's about 90 miles east of um, Portland. And I was with the Salvation Army. And we were one of the main um, uh, places where people would go to get help. And I can remember often I'd get calls at night and people would be in a situation and we need to put them up in a motel. And so I had a motel that I'd use. I knew the guy that managed it. His name was Scott as well. And I got that call one night and I met these people at the church building. And then I said, well, follow me out to this motel. And we went out there. I said, just wait here for a minute. Let me go in there and get everything straightened up. And I walked into the lobby of the hotel and I was greeted by two Mastiff dogs that were Scott's. Mastiff's dogs can get up to 230 pounds and 36 inches tall. And I'll tell you, these dogs were every bit of that. And guess what? They were fixed on me. I walked in and I knew that isn't the, the look of howdy. <laughs> that was a look you make one more move and you're our dinner. And I froze. And the door into Scott's the apartment attached to the motel was open. I said, Scott. He goes, yeah. I said, your dogs have got me pinned. Can you get out here? And he hollered their names, and they ran in there, and he came out. And I won't tell you what the rest, but we put up the people. Everybody lived halfway over. I'm here. But the point is this, you guys. You and I are to do that. We are to lock in on Jesus, his word, what he did, who he is, the witnesses that have gone before us, and we need to do that. Look at verse 2. Why? It says, because he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. It means Jesus is the pioneer, the originator of our faith. I, I like the translation that says, he's the trailblazer. In other words, there wasn't a trail of faith. And he blazed that trail of faith for you and I. He is the chief example of faith, the one who carried it through to completion. That's why we fix our eyes on him. It gives us incredible encouragement to endure when we keep and keep running the race when we're looking at Jesus. Notice it says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy that is set before him, now listen to this carefully because this is pretty neat, wasn't the cross. Jesus found no joy, I don't think, in the cross itself. As it says, he endured the cross. What did he endure? Pain, suffering, dying. We know that was a horrible way to die. People would take days sometimes to actually die. There was physical pain, but in Jesus' case, there was spiritual pain as well. We know that he who knew no sin took upon the world's sin. And you and I can't even begin to imagine what that would have been like. But that's what he did. But that wasn't it. Joy was the other side of the cross. When he would be seated again and united with the Father. That's what he had joy for. Joy was being victorious over sin and death. Joy was bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And the church said, amen. amen. Come on, come on. You're going to say amen louder than that when you get to heaven. <laughs> but that was the joy that was set before him. 
And so despising the shame, and this is an interesting thing here, you guys. You look it up later, you look up what it means there, but there was a great shame to being crucified. It was embarrassing. It was a shameful thing if you were crucified. A lot of times they were hung on the cross naked. And like I said, they would hang there for days. But Jesus, what it means there when it says he despised the shame, the idea is he didn't focus on the shame that went attached to the cross. He didn't worry about what people would think about here he is dying on a cross. His focus was on the joy that was set before him. Like I said, that which would come after the cross. And note something very important. As incredible as the men and women our chapter 11 are, they had incredible faith. You notice what it says here? Who are we to fix our eyes on? Say it. Jesus. We are not to fix our eyes on Moses or Noah or Abraham or Rahab or any of those. We could look at them. We can be encouraged by their lives. But we are to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of faith. Jesus Christ, not them. Look at verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The word consider him is very much the idea of like fix your eyes on Jesus. In the Greek, it means to to reckon, to think, or to ponder. Reckon is a mathematical term. In other words, you consider Jesus... You look at his life, you add everything up about his life, and you know what? I'm going to follow him. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. That's where our focus to be. Let Jesus capture you. Let him control your mind and your life. Let him have all you are this morning. When do we do this? Why do we do this? So you will not grow weary and faint So we could reverse it now. The message talks about not growing weary, not fainting. How? Do you know how now? You're being so shy today. (laughs) By fixing our eyes on Jesus. Would you make up your mind this morning that in a fresh way, I'm not going to say you're not fixing your eyes, you haven't had that, but it's a great reminder, isn't it? It reminded me just days before it reminded you guys. This is where we need to be in these days that we live in. Our eyes need to be fixed on him. We need to be looking at him, his example, knowing that he is with us. And so let me close with just some closing thoughts. How is your faith race going? I mean this. We don't want to just come in and punch our time clock today. We don't want to just come and say, I went to church today, I listened to a message today, I left the And ask yourself, how's your race going? Again, it's just between you and the Lord. But you need to ask yourself that. How is your race? Is it perseverance and endurance? Or is it despair and weariness? You know, this morning, I believe without a doubt that if you are here this morning, there's despair in your life and there's weariness in your life. If you say, say, Jesus, that's where I'm at. And now I realize I've been refreshed this morning. I know I'm supposed to fix my eyes on you. And you, if you will say, Lord, will you help me this week to do that more than ever? I believe without, without a doubt he'll do that. There's no reason to be ashamed of weariness. We all fall into weariness at times. But the word is here for us. The reminders are here for us. When that happens, fix your eyes on Jesus. See fresh this morning if you've taken your eyes off him and get them back on him. There are so many who have gone before us, 
Jesus has gone before us. And all these, and especially him, are there for our encouragement. Philippians 1.6 is a great promise to you and I as believers. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, not maybe, he will bring it to completion. God has set a course out before you. Every one of us has a course, a path, a direction he's taken our life. Run that race, you guys. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you will find yourself able to endure. And it doesn't mean as we endure, there's no joy along the way. That You know that's not true. But he will give us the ability to endure. And even if you're here today and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I can tell you this much. He's the best. He is the way, the truth, and life. And I just encourage you so much to give your heart to him.